chapter 20, verse 13 this evening. Tonight's sermon, tonight's passage is just four words. He said, well, that's going to be a short sermon. Well, that's just the verse. <laughs> that's just the verse. We will expound on that a little bit, though I'll probably make this a two-part message uh, considering the time and all that we have going on tonight. I'll probably make this a two-part message and uh, finish up, Lord willing, next Sunday night if possible. But Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13, we've been going through the Ten Commandments, as you well know, and we're on the Sixth Commandment, I believe. And just four words, very powerful words. Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not kill. Father, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this important commandment that was given thousands of years ago, but yet are is relevant, is true, is needed even today in 2023. God, help us to understand it. Help us understand what it meant then. Help us understand what it means today in the spirit of it. I pray in Jesus' name, and amen. So <clears throat> this command, of course, thou shalt not kill, is, is immense, it's imperative, it's important. The command, thou shalt not kill, answers some of the topics and questions that we're facing today. Some of them I'll go in to um, next week, some about self-defense, especially because, as some of you well know, gun laws have changed here in Florida recently, uh, hunting, going to war, abortion, suicide, euthanasia, capital punishment. All these are connected to these four words, thou shalt not kill. Actually, it is rendered here, and, and really more appropriately, thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not murder. The Hebrew language possesses seven words for killing. The word here which I can't pronounce, is called ratshach, the Hebrew word, appears 40 verses in the Old Testament. The word is used to signify premeditated murder. So it's not just talking about killing something. It's talking about to premeditate, to think about, to choose it. Of course, in this, in this country alone, these, these, these statistics are probably a little bit dated, but at least 29 people are murdered every hour. Every means every... Uh, I mean, it's around 700 a day, around 25,000 per year are murdered in the country. This does not include, of course, babies that are murdered in abortion, and I believe abortion is murder. The Bible teaches that, and we'll be talking about that later on. But the Bible says in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. That was true in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, and that tr is true still today. Nothing has changed according to that. It's still, it's, still, it's still true today. And I believe it's the way it should be. And I know it will be the way it will be when the millennium kingdom is set up and Jesus Christ will rule with a rod of iron. That is how it will be. If you look in the Bible, you do not see prisons. All you see in times of accidental death, as we'll talk about it, is cities of refuge. So what is happening, unfortunately, in our country and all over the world is things that the Bible does not even talk about. And the reason why we have such high crime and the reasons why we're paying so much money is because things are being done not biblically. 
Why, why is murder such a crying sin? Well, three sins cry out to God. First one is oppression. We see it in Psalm chapter 12, verse 5. For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy. Now arise, saying, The Lord, I will set him in safety for him that puffeth at him. When people are oppressed, God hears their cry. Think about these children of Israel. Here are ones we're talking about. They cried out for hundreds of years in their oppression, in their slavery, in their demise, in their struggle. They cried out to God, and God heard their prayer. We read as we looked at the life of, of Moses, another crying sin that brings God's judgment is sodomy. Genesis chapter 18, verse 20, The Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, because their sin is very grievous, I will go now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come to me, and if not, I will know it. The Bible says in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. It was an abomination in those days, and it is abomination in this day. No matter what the Supreme Court says, no matter what the president says, no matter what anybody says, it's an abomination. It's always been an abomination. always will be an abomination. That's what the Bible says, and we're Bible believers. Amen? Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13, if, also, if a man also lie with mankind, as he lie with a woman, both of them have committed abomination. They shall be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Another, mother, another crying sin is, is not just oppression, it's sodomy, it's bloodshed. In Genesis chapter 4, verse, uh, 4, verse 9, the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. So <clears throat> we, when there's bloodshed, that's, there's, there's judgment that's going to happen because of that in this, in this situation, and we'll look at others. David committed adultery with Bathsheba, but he cries out to God for his sin of murder. Psalm 51, verse 14, Deliver me from the blood guiltness, O God. Thou, God of my salvation, my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. Murder, choosing to plan to take another per person's life, is a diabolical sin, and it's like the devil. In John chapter 8, verse 44, he's talking to the Pharisees. You're of your father the devil. The lusts of your father you will, you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there are no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. The devil is a liar. The devil is a murderer. The devil is wicked. Murder is a cursed sin. Deuteronomy chapter 27, 24. Cursed be that he that smiteth a neighbor secretly, and all the people say amen. Cursed be he that taketh the word to slay an innocent person, and all the people say amen. Genesis chapter 4 and 11. Now thou art cursed upon the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from the hand. Murder is a, murder is a wrath procuring sin. Psalm 55 verse 23. But thou, O Lord, shall bring them down into the pit of destruction. Bloody and deceitful men shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in thee. So we see murders in the Bible are committed in a number of ways. With the hands, as Joab with Abner, with the tongue, power of life and death is in the tongue. The Bible says the command was given to put others to death. The Jews falsely accused Jesus. Remember? They said, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And, and he was crucified. With the hands, with the tongue, with the pen. David wrote the commandment to Joab to follow Uriah to be killed. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 15, he wrote a letter saying, set, you, set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire you from, from him. Then he be smitten and die. By schemes and plans... Jezebel plotteth Naboth's death. She wanted for her husband 
his vineyard. The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 9 and 10, she wrote in the letter saying, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth on high among the people. Set two men, sons of Belial, before him to bear witness against him, saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king, and then carry him out and stone him, that he may die. By consuming, by, excuse me, by consenting to another's death, Saul consented to the death of Stephen, as I mentioned this morning in Acts chapter 22 and verse 20. As Christians, we're to guard ourselves from sins that lead to murder. What are some sins that we should be look out on lookout for? Well, uncontrolled anger. Uncontrolled anger. Some of you can be said you wouldn't like you when you were angry. Anger boils in the veins and it can lead to murder. Genesis chapter 49, verse 6. Oh, my soul, come now not to the secret and to the assembly, mine honor to be united. For is there anger that slew a man in their self-will? They dig down a wall. What causes, mur what causes murder? Not just anger, but envy. Genesis chapter 37, verse 20. We talked about this many years ago when I first got here. Joseph's brother, how they, how they envied their brother, Joseph. In Genesis chapter 37, verse 20, Come now, therefore, let us slay him and cast him into a pit. And we shall say, Some evil beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of, it, of, it, of his dreams. Murder and envy are like, they're like cousins. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 21, Envyings, murders, drunkenness, revilings, and such of which I tell you before, as also I have told you in the time past, they which do these things, meaning they are continually doing these things. This is their lifestyle. This is their pattern of life. This is who they are. Shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Envy begins with this content against God and ends in injury against man. Cain was discontented with God. We looked at the story of, the biblical story of Cain and how he killed Abel. Genesis chapter 4, verse 6, The Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? Why is thy countenance fallen? And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against his, uh, Abel his brother and slew him. Envy will not quench its thirst without blood. Proverbs 27, verse 4, wrath is cruel, anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? Oh, dear friend, guard your heart. You find yourself envious, find you want something that's not yours. Be careful, be careful. <clears throat> Hatred. Hatred is another reason people often murder. Hatred is the venom which lives upon blood. Ezekiel chapter 35, verse 5, Because thou hast had perpetual hatred that has shed the blood of children of Israel by the force of the sword in the time of their calamity and the time of their iniquity had an end. Therefore, as I live, saith the Lord God, I will prepare thee unto blood, and blood shall pursue thee. Sit thou not again, not sit, excuse, sit not, hast, hast thou not hated blood? Even blood shall pursue thee. The word here means sense, sith, it means sense. 1 John chapter 3, verse 15, Whosoever hates his brother is a murderer. You know, not, you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. So thou shalt not kill concerns the conduct of the angel. Killing an individual is an act of personal vengeance or retaliation that is prohibited. Matthew chapter 19, verse 18, He saith him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt not shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Romans chapter 13, verse 9, For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. If any of the other commandment is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Can't love someone, hate someone at the same time. 
That's where we're commanded. That's what we talked about this morning. The importance, the two greatest commandments is to love God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. And the second is to love thy neighbor as thyself. So you may have a bad neighbor. You may have a bad relative. You may be in a difficult situation. But you have to choose it. Just like I said this morning, that love is not just a feeling. It's a choice. It's a choice. So if you, if you find yourself envious of a person, you find yourself not liking a person, my best advice for you is to begin to pray for that person. That God would soften your heart and see that person not as just an individual, but as a soul that's going to last forever. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 15 says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other man's matters. Killing by a nation such as a war or ex executing criminals was permissible. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 2, When the Lord, when the, when the Lord the, thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. The Canaanites were smitten. We see it throughout the scriptures, of course, in the Old Testament, that God's people were commanded to take the life of others, and that was, of course, under God's will. So not all murder, all murder is killing, but all killing is not murder. I'll say that again. All murder is killing, but not all killing is murder. Remember, murder is a premeditated choosing to take someone's life. Exodus chapter 22, verse 2, If a thief be found breaking up and be smitten that he die, there shall be no blood shed for him. Killing the animal for food. Genesis chapter 9, verse 3. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as a green herb have I given uh, you all things. So all killing cannot be considered as murder because it would be mean that God would be the one. And we know that's not all true because who is God? He's a giver of life, isn't he? Does the Lord ever take life? Yes. He takes it in judgment of sin. In Genesis, Genesis chapter 38, he took the lives of two sons of Judah because of their sin. Read it. Nabab and Abihu, God offered strange fire before God, and God took their life. The earth swallowed up Korah, Nathan, Abraham for rebellion. Remember, they rebelled against Moses, and God took their life. Uzziah touched the ark. They were told, don't touch it. And he reached out to steady it, and the Bible says that Uzziah died. In one night, 185,000 Assyrians were smitten by the angel of the Lord. He slew the firstborn of Egypt in Pharaoh's army. We read about that. He smote King Herod for presumption and pride. Ananias, Sapphira, lied to the Holy Spirit, were mitten. So does God ever authorize human government to take life? Does God approve of capital punishment of criminals? Yes. Government is ordained by God because God is the head. He's, he's, he's in control. He's sovereign. Daniel chapter 2, verse 37, 38. I think my wife read these verses recently. Thou, O king, our king of kings, for God of gods hath given thee kingdom of power and strength and glory. And whatsoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and fowls of the, the heaven hath he given unto thy hand and hath made thee ruler over them. Thou art the head. Daniel chapter 2, verse 21. He charged the times and the seasons. He removed kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom and the wise and knowledge of them that knoweth understanding. God raised up Pharaoh, Egypt, Cyrus, and Pilate, and Joe Biden. God did that. He said, man, there's a whole lot of cheating going on. Whether it was or not, God sets up kings and puts down kings. If you don't believe that, that's what the Bible says. 
No, I don't understand it. I can't explain it. I'm not even saying it's right, but I'm saying it's what the Bible says. Clearly, it's what the Bible says. Romans chapter 9, verse 17. For the scripture saith to the Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I may show the power of thee, that thy name might be declared throughout all the earth. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 28. Then saith Cyrus, He is my shepherd. I shall perform all my pleasure. Evening, saying to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be built into the temple, and foundation shall be laid. Was Cyrus a spiritual person? No. Was, was, uh, was Pharaoh a spiritual person? No. But did God set him up? He did. He did. Because his plan in his way is better, greater than ours. His way is perfect. It's beyond what you and I can imagine or comprehend. I'm not saying it makes sense to us. It's illogical. And if it was logical, would he be God? No. He's beyond us. John chapter seven, John chapter nineteen. Jesus words to Pilate. Then saith Pilate, or then saith Pilate to him, Speaketh not unto me, knowest not that I have power to crucify thee and the power to release thee. Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against me except it were given thee from above. Who put Pilate in his place? Who allowed Pilate to be the very one that would allow Jesus Christ to be crucified? Jesus did. Jesus did. Therefore shall he deliver unto me, unto thee hath greater sin. Romans chapter 13, verse 1 through 6, very clear. Let every soul be subject to the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that, are be, that be are ordained of God. Who is the ultimate power in the universe? It's God. He is the ruler. He is supreme. He is in, in charge. We must understand it. Whosoever therefore resist the power, resist the ordinance of God, and they that resist, resist shall receive themselves damnation. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. Disregard for the word of God encourages to create more bloodshed. Henry VIII once pardoned a murderer who, turn, who, who in turn went out and killed someone else. When a second plea for mercy was made to the king, Henry answered, No, he killed the first man, but I killed the second. I will kill no more. He must be executed. God authorizes government to execute a capital punishment. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 17. He that killeth man shall be surely put to death. Again, that was good in Exodus, good in Leviticus. I believe it is good today. Numbers chapter 35, verse 16. If he smite him with an instrument of iron so that he die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 11, 12. If a man hate his neighbor and lie in wait and rise up against him and smite him mortally that he die and flee to one of the cities, the elders of the city shall send and fetch him thence and deliver him into the hand of the avenger of blood that he may die. So the Old Testament death penalty was, was implemented for murder, adultery, incest, sodomy, rape, witchcraft, blasphemy, false doctrine, rebellion towards parents. And to execute a criminal, uh, criminal under government authority was not considered as murder when the criminal was truly guilty. So what is God's attitude towards killing? Well, in David's life, a king, as a king, David was the representative of government, as an instrument of God's hand to bring judgment on the nation as an individual. When David ordered the, the death of Uriah, God charged him with murder. What about war? Is war wrong? Should nations ever declare war? 
Are there times when it's necessary where the Bible reveals that words of judgment of God upon nations, especially in a time when a nation is evil and wicked? In Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 21, Thus saith the Lord God, How much more when I, when I send my four sword judgments upon Jerusalem, the sword, the famine, the noisome beast, and the pestilence to cut off uh, from it man and beast. When Israel rebelled against God, is Assyria was a tool of God's judgment. God used Israel's own, own enemy, which were heathens, to judge his people. He did that in 722 uh, B.C. with the Assyrians, and later on, I believe in 522, 524, he did that with the, with the uh, Babylonians. He used God's enemies to punish his own people. Why? Because, as I've said, a principle throughout the scriptures is obedience brings blessing, but disobedience always brings trouble. And even as children of God and as saved saints separated, heading towards heaven, dear friend, if you disobey the commands of scripture and the laws of the land, there's going to be consequences. There's going to be consequences. And the problem is society has gotten too soft on the consequences. And that's why you see people getting shot in Gainesville the last two nights. Because we have society that's soft on crime. We could solve crime real quick. The problem is we do not have those over us who's willing to do what needs to be done to solve it. And that's the problem we have. And I think it's part of our judgment. Israel rebelled against God and Syria was a tool of judgment. We see it in Isaiah chapter 10, verse 5. O Syria, and the rod of mine anger, this, and the staff of thine hand, and my indignation. Judges chapter 3, and verse 12. The children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. So God will use our enemies to, to punish us when we are disobedient. Isn't that what's happening to some degree right now? Why are, we, why, is, why are we as Christians suffering in the United States of America? Because of us. Not because of them. Because of us. It starts, as I've said many times, in God's house. Because we, in our homes, and in, house in our houses of worship, are not being obedient to God. We're going our own way. We're doing our own thing. Judgment first must begin in the house of God. The problem, dear friend, and we want to point to them and say it's their fault. No, friend, it's us. It's us. The best thing you and I can do is draw a circle, put ourselves in it, and say, God, help me. Revive me. Stir my heart. I need to love God more. I need to love my neighbor more. It's always easy to say them. It's their fault. The same thing that happened in the Garden of Eden. The woman that thou has given me. We do the same thing, the liberal that's in the land. The Democrat who's in the White House. No, dear friend, it's us. The only person you can change is you. You can't change what's happening in Washington. But you can change you. It starts in our heart. It starts with us. It starts with us. How will we be as believers? You realize when Jesus returns to the earth, he will declare war. 
He's going to declare war. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, I saw heaven open, behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon was called faithful and true, and the righteous he doth and make war. His eyes were a flame of fire, on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He clothed with a vesture dripped in blood, his name called the word of God. The armies which were in heaven followed with him, that's us, on white horses, clothed in white fine linen. And out of the mouth goeth a sharp sword, and with it he, sh he should smite the nations, and they shall rule, rule, and he shall rule them with the rod of iron, and treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of the Almighty God. That's happening. At the end of seven years of tribulation, we, with the Lord Jesus Christ, are coming back in the, bar in the battle of Armageddon at the valley of Megiddo, and all of the nations of this world that rise up against Jesus Christ will be destroyed. Is there a preacher? I'm against bloodshed. It's going to happen, folks. It's going to happen. All the wickedness of the world, all the hatred, all the lies, all the abominations is going to be judged at that moment. And the miraculous thing is for a thousand, almost a thousand years or so, we're going to be in peace. But even at the end, the Bible says the devil's going to have a time, a little season. And he's going to rise up. He's going to have an army rise up from the ranks of people. Uh, I believe the children of folks who went in because everybody who goes into the, trip, into the millennium will be saved. But they'll have children and children and children and children and children. They'll live long, long, many long years and have many kids. And some of them will be rebels. They'll reject the king. They'll reject Jesus Christ. There'll be one last rejection in the end, and they'll have this army led by Satan himself of millions upon millions upon millions of people, and ultimately there'll be a fire come from heaven and destroy all of them. And after that, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. Hallelujah, hallelujah. But that's what's coming, folks. That's what's coming. He said, I don't want it to be that way. Dear friend, that's the way it's going to be. What is written is written. Sometimes you have to have war before you can have peace. There is war that's coming. There is no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. It's going to happen. So the question is, how is our heart? How is our heart? Because we can't change the things that are already written, but we can, as I mentioned, change us. In his greatest sermon, I believe, ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, You've heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. But whoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, The whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, that means thou fool, or you're a wicked person. Thou shalt be in danger of the council. Whosoever say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother have aught against thee, leave therefore thy gift before the altar, and go thy way, be first reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. So what's Jesus saying? Hey, bigger than, bigger than, I said to you in the Old Testament, through Moses, of course, in Exodus 20, and Deuteronomy, and the second time, thou shalt not murder. But I'm saying it's bigger than that. Go, Jesus goes from the letter of the law, thou shalt not kill, full words, to the spirit of a law. As we talked about, what leads to murder? Strife, anger, 
bitterness, hate, envy, jealousy, adultery. They lead to murder. They lead to murder. So what Jesus says here is, if you have an ought against your brother, I mean, if there's an issue between you and another person, before you come down to the altar to pray, before you, before you sacrifice, leave thy altar, leave thy gift at the altar, and first go be reconciled to thy brother. Now, for some of them to do that, that meant a, they couldn't just jump, jump, they couldn't just tweet it, they couldn't text it, they couldn't instant message it. They had to actually travel to that place and talk to them one-on-one. There was no email back in those days, believe it or not. There wasn't even the U.S. postal system, believe it or not. There wasn't no flip phones. There wasn't no rotary phones. There was just, if you're going to talk to somebody, you've got to go talk to them and talk to them face-to-face. -face. They had to leave their sacrifice, get up, get on their camel. God help their soul if they're on a camel. Get on their donkey or horse and ride and go ask forgiveness before they sacrificed. That took some work. That took some journey. That took some planning. It was more than a text, more than a tweet, more than an instant message, more than a phone call, more than I'll be over there in 15 minutes because you're on 15 minutes away. It meant they had to plan it, prepare it, and actually do it. Now, I wonder, is anybody in your life that you have ought against or that you know has ought against you tonight? You say, well, preacher, it's just a small thing. That's where it starts. How's a big old fire get started? One spark. How somebody get how somebody die? One word. One word leads two words leads to more words before long. They're pulling out pistols or grabbing knives. Or worse, they walk out the door and next thing you know, somebody's gossiping about them. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words would never hurt me. That's a lie. How many times have we killed somebody with our tongue because they weren't kind enough, they didn't shake hands enough, they didn't invite me to the deal or have me over? In this century, in these days, in this age of grace, we do more wounds with our words, with gossip and tail-bearing, which is the great sin of the Independent Baptist Church and has been since its inception. You know what you need to do sometimes is get right. If you have ought against somebody, if you have anger against somebody, you know what you ought to do? Get right with them. Get right with them. Start talk, Quit talking bad about them behind their back. What good is that going to do? How's that going to help? Remember, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. You said, okay, I want to do that. Okay, if you want to do it practically, get right with them. Talk to them. Ask forgiveness. Have you chosen to do that? You say, preacher, I've done it, but they won't be right with me. Well, you've done everything you could. Go as far down that road as you possibly can in getting right with that person. And if they choose not to get right with you, then you've done everything you can. Now, maybe you would say, well, what else could I do? Well, I'll tell you what I've done in that situation. I've bought them gift cards. 
You say you're buying them off. No, I'm trying to be Christian. I'm trying to say, well, you know, we do we do good we do good to all men, especially the household of faith. Why not send them a $25 gift card to Sonny's? No, it's it's not free. I'd pay for it. Why not do good for somebody? Why not help somebody? You see, we often we we don't we're probably most of us in this room not thinking about actually premeditating taking somebody's life, at least I hope not. But we do hurt each other's feelings, oftentimes offend people, wound people with our words. And that all oftentimes comes in churches like ours when we're truly just not right with somebody. You got an angst against somebody else in this room or somebody was here Sunday morning? Why live with that? Why not? Take time and get right with them. How much better the church of God would be if we were truly right with God and truly right with others. You say, preacher, if I did that, I'd have to humble myself. Yeah. Humble yourself in the sight of the, of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. The best thing you ever did in your life is humble yourself. Preacher, if I said that, if I did that, I'd have to say I was wrong. Next best thing you ever did in your life is humble yourself and say you was wrong. If you're married, you probably got to do that a few times every week, right? If you're still married, you probably do. If you got kids, you definitely do. Humble yourself. Admit you're wrong. Confess your faults. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Oh, dear friends, how can we be better? <laughs> by, by choosing every day to have short sins account, sin accounts. If I have offended anyone by the grace of God before, the, that, before I put my pillow on the head, I make a conscious decision by the grace of God to get right with my brother and sister in Christ. Will you live that way? I've chosen to live that way. It's the path of, the path of peace. I take no prescription medication to get to bed. I choose to have a clear conscience. I have no physician that I have to go get meds because I can't sleep at night because I've done somebody wrong. I choose to live this life. And dear friend, I beg you, choose to live this way too. Father, thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy, your kindness. Thank you, God, that you forgive us of our sin. Thank you, God, that's cast into the deepest of the seas, and you remember it no more. Oh, God, I pray that you'd help us to be clean, to be right from one another, to get rid of old grudges, to not go back and think of what, what happened in yesteryear because something was said or something was done. But truly, as we ask forgiveness from you, may we surely seek reconciliation with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And God, if someone comes to us tonight or in the near future, help us to receive them by grace, the same grace we wish to extend, Lord, to others. Help us, Lord Jesus, in Jesus' name. With head bowed and eyes closed, maybe there's someone in this room who's not a Christian. Maybe you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Maybe you're, you're dealing with issues and problems and maybe the main reason why you're dealing with these issues is because you don't know Christ. If I was to talk to you privately and say, if you died today or you're 100% sure you'd go to heaven, you could not say, I know for sure if I died today, I would go to heaven. I can give you a Bible reason for it. You say, preacher, I don't know that. I don't know for sure if I was to die, I'd go to heaven, but I want to be sure See, dear friend, the reality is the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one.
But God commended his love towards us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. We're sinners. We can't save ourselves. But Christ, in shedding his blood on the cross, died for us, rose again the third day so we could have everlasting life. And if you'll call on him, the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can be saved today. Not joining the church, not getting baptized, not getting confirmed, not, be, not anything else but being saved, which is the greatest decision you'll ever make. Say, preacher, I, don't, I haven't done any of those things. I'm not sure if I died, go to heaven, but I want to. 